Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. And we're going to jump right into it. Jump right into it today. We are very pleased and honored to be joined by Dr. Nina Sophie Harriman, and we're going to be discussing her new book. A Thirst for the Spirit, Biblical Wisdom for Desert Times. I, Joe, I like that. I, I, I'm very curious about the Desert Times part of this conversation. That's going to be available at Emmaus Road Publishing, and we always encourage everybody in our audience not only to support our authors by purchasing their books, um, we also encourage you to please buy the book from the publisher so that we support our, our, our Catholic publishers and our local Catholic bookstores where the books are available. Please do that. Now, some of you out there are familiar with the work of Dr. Hiraman. Um, having said that, Dr. Nina Sophie Hiraman is a Catholic biblical scholar from Germany. After completing law studies and serving for two years as a junior lawyer, she experienced a powerful encounter with the Word of God and felt the call to dedicate her life fully to the church in the new evangelization. She obtained the baccalaureate in theology from the Gregorian University. Joe and I did not go to the Gregorian, no, doctor. No, I just want to throw that out there to you. From the Gregorian University, a licentiate in sacred scripture from the Pontifical Biblical Institute, and a doctorate in sacred scriptures. Dr. Herriman has taught at the College de Bernardin in Paris and the Pontifical Biblical Institute in Rome, and is currently an assistant professor of sacred scriptures at St. Patrick's Seminary and University in Menlo Park, California. Dr. Nina Harriman, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor be, to be on the show. No, it's an it's absolutely our honor, and this is going to be this is going to be a really good conversation. With that, I'm going to hand it over to Joe Resinello, and uh, and we'll we'll jump right in. Doc, we always begin with a prayer in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly into you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, for you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us, Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, amen. Holy Spirit, Amen. amen. Well, Doc, I'll be honest. Um, I'm interested in what made you have a career change. You were a lawyer, and then you went to some pretty heavy-hitting schools. Um, and I, and I want to say this because, you know, a lot of times people have these ideas, like people who pursue the faith have nothing going on. And it's very edifying to see that you had tons of choices, but you chose something else. Because you found yes. the pearl of 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 the most price, it which is God's word, and you pursued it with your whole life. Talk about that change. That is very, very well put because it was actually um, it's exactly like you just said, um discovering the pearl of greatest price that was so much more had so much more to offer than anything I ever had before. 
um, I was I was blessed to grow up in Germany in a Catholic family, but you know German Catholicism, which <laughs> my parents were great. Um, they're not the typical German Catholics, but still, I grew up in the context of a church that now the entire world knows is absolutely in ruins, right? So, for just to give you an example, like we never did any of the Catholic devotions, like paid, prayed the rosary. We were extraordinary by going to to uh, confession like twice a year, but. Um, as I realize now, that's not really Catholic, right? Um, minimum Catholic should be going maybe once a month. Anyway, um, I, I got a lot of faith from my parents, but I had no, the rest of the church didn't really offer Jesus. Um, we heard lots about social justice and the people starving in Africa and all this is well and good. But if you don't hear about God, then just as human beings, there's nothing out of out from our own resources we can't change this world. Anyway, um, I, I was also blessed um, to be born into a, a very, um, not financially affluent, but socially very privileged in that um, through my grandmother's family, when I graduated from high school, I, um, I just so happened to be very blessed in... Um, Basically, what in what in Europe we call like a like a jet set high society. Um, I was born into an aristocratic family, and that kind of opened extremely many doors to me. And so, at the age of twenty three, I had visited pr practically every continent in the world. I was extremely spoiled, and the uh, vacations I had experienced it felt like I'd kind of reached the top of the ladder <laughs> socially, and I felt empty inside, and there was. Uh, you know, you're 23, 24, and you feel like, okay, there's not so much more to aspire for in life. Um, but I was empty inside. And I was, at that time, God bless him, my younger brother had discovered the legionaries of Christ and became a priest. And so him joining the novitiate and dis disappearing from the horizon of my life, um, I myself, who had grown up as a Catholic, but didn't know how to really practice myself, except for go to mass on Sunday, I asked him if his order had something for women. And so I started, um, you know, really looking for Jesus consciously, thinking if he has a plan for my brother, maybe there's more for me on offer as well. Most importantly, I was working as a junior lawyer, I was dating a man, and I wasn't sure if this is really the man that I'm supposed to spend the rest of my life with. And um, he was a Protestant. And so in order to, uh, I figured if I, if I could just make him a Catholic, then we can get married and live happily ever after, just like my parents. And um, as a child, I had been blessed to go to Medjugorje, which is a place in Bosnia-Herzegovina, where Our Lady is said to have been appearing since 1981. So I took him on a pilgrimage to Medjugorje, bringing him there, like saying, Mary, make him a Catholic. For me, it was kind of evident if Mary appears, this means the Catholic church must be the right church because otherwise, you know, um, why would she appear if God wouldn't be sending her? And so we are right about our Marian doctrine, kind of very simple rationale. Um, so I brought him there hoping that Mary would convert him. And within five days, I realized that I was the one who wasn't a Catholic yet because, you know, I was just going to mass on Sunday, but the rest of my life was just the same as any pagan <laughs> contemporary or like Pope Benedict would say, baptized. We are all like baptized pagans. So 
I started listening to our ladies' messages and started trying to live our messages. And you know how the messages are. Your um, go to confession, like pray with your heart, um, make Jesus the center of your life and receive the Eucharist as often as you can. Go to confession at least once a month, fast twice a week and read the Bible. And I started living all these messages, the first four, except for reading the Bible. That was the most boring book for me in the world. And I, it just didn't open up to me. So I tried to do the rest, but I never read the Bible. At one point, so then, you know, when you start praying and you start going to confession, of course, your life, you can't re be washed in the blood of Christ regularly and still be going to the nightclub and seeing all this craziness going on without your eyes being slowly opened. And then that process, of course, this praying, um, receiving the sacraments, this desire became ever, ever deeper to what is God's plan for my life? Like here I have my life all planned out. I know whom I want to get married to and my career and everything was set on a track. But this question was like, okay, Mary was always speaking about God having a plan for our life. And I really wanted to know this. And so in the year 1998, which you might remember, John Paul II had three years to prepare us for the, for the year 2000, the great Jubilee. 97 was dedicated to Jesus Christ, 98 to the Holy Spirit. For me, the Holy Spirit was, I didn't, you know, he sounded like the Holy Ghost. Um, I could not make any sense of who the Holy Spirit is. So I heard about this retreat being preached by Indian missionaries who had strong gifts of prophecies. And the only reason I wanted to go to that retreat was because I figured I'll just talk to one of these prophets and then they'll tell me what my vocation is. <laughs> And this was four weeks before the bar exam. So all I really wanted was to go and speak to a prophet, have him pray over me and tell me my vocation. But luckily, they said, no, you can't just go and speak to a prophet. You have to listen to the word of God. And in my arrogance, I thought, okay, I've been a Catholic for 26 years of my life. I've, I've been to Lourdes every year of my life. Um, I've done two 10-day two Ignatian silent retreats, right? I don't need to listen to these Indian missionaries. Like we brought the gospel to them. Why should they be preaching to me? <laughs> but luckily they were so insisting that I could not go and speak to the prophet unless I listened to the entire retreat that in my desperateness to know my vocation, I actually agreed to take one week. This is four weeks before the bar, the German equivalent to the bar. Like, that's kind of crazy. Nobody would do this. But somehow I had gotten the faith at this point. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto you. Thanks be to God. Because now here I was, 26 years of age. And the first time in my life, I hear the entire gospel with any water, without any watering down. Like first time someone explains to me why Jesus died on the cross for us. The German explanation was always like, he died on the cross because it wasn't really plan A. The cross is only plan B. And by not fighting back, God is showing us how much he loves us. We never heard that he died to pay the price for my sins. You know, Romans, um, the wages of sin is death. We've all earned this wage. And Jesus dies in my stead. So first time I hear that kerygma. Then the entire retreat, five days, was preached merely in a biblical idiom, um, they were whatever they were preaching, it was informed by the word of God, stretching from Genesis to the book of Revelation. First time I experienced the Father's love. First time I heard an explanation of all the Ten Commandments in all their details and what this means in modern day. First time we were preached to like, 
if you live in a sexual relationship outside of marriage, you can't receive communion. Otherwise, that is really desecrating the Eucharist. Can't receive communion if you're divorced and remarried. You know, uh, if you can't receive the Eucharist, basically, if you're in a state of mortal sin. I never even heard the concept of mortal sin. <laughs> so, bang, these missionaries come. And at the end of the week, um, I had heard for the first time the entirety of our faith in put in a nutshell of five days. And what I experienced was what Jesus says in the gospel, um, the truth will set you free. It was listening to these words, which seemed hard, that I experienced being set free from shackles that have been holding me my entire life. And everything inside me was telling me what these missionaries are telling you is the truth. You have to follow this. And suddenly the Ten Commandments, which until that point in my life had seemed like this difficult test that we have to pass. Um, you know, we Jesus is kind of gone. He, he ascended into heaven 2,000 years ago. We have to follow the Ten Commandments. And then when we die, God is going to, to check off the list if I live if I live if I followed the commandments and suddenly I realized God's commandments are the greatest gift to humanity the fact that Jesus has revealed them to us in their fullness even more than Moses had understood and that the church in her teaching unfolds them for us and explains them this is the greatest gift as you know the user manual for our human life if someone gives you a Porsche you don't just go in and drive you first learn how to drive and how to take care of your Porsche our human life is so much more than the Porsche um, and here God has given us the manual for a successful life and if we go off track we have confession and we get all the graces back and more than that if that we lose through sin so I suddenly I realized God's revelation is the greatest gift and I should study and know it through and through at the end of this retreat they prayed for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and I didn't see anything. I didn't hear anything. I had no visions, nothing. But on my way home, I realized I had a joy that as I had never, ever experienced before in my 26 years of life in any other circumstances. And I knew that something very profound had happened during this retreat and that the key to what had happened to me was the fact that these Indians have been preaching the word of God to us with an authority that was divine and not like that, like the way, you know, how it says in the gospels about Jesus, he speaks with an authority and not like one of our scribes. And that was exactly my experience. Like, why have I never heard any of our priests speak and preach with such an authority and in such a biblical idiom? And at that moment, something clicked in me that something is wrong with our church that the word of God is so absent in our preaching. And what, you know, for me going to mass, it was like, you go to mass because that's what you're supposed to do. And I did believe in God. And so even though I didn't really know why I needed to go to mass, I just did it out of love for God. But when the homily came, I never listened because it was always some boring philosophical concept or just some story. But there listening to the word of God, I realized I just couldn't stop listening because every word coming from their mouth was straight from the Bible and my heart was burning, burning, burning. And I just had this great thirst. I want to know the word of God and I want to study it. And then following this retreat, 
it, it just what the Lord put more and more in my heart was it kind of see, so I can't speak for the universal church, but definitely what I had seen happening in Germany and in the European church, I would say, is that with the reformation, the Catholics insisted on the sacraments, the Protestants went off with the word of God. And so for 400 years, more or less, there was this divide. Catholics don't read the Bible because you don't really need that. And you can't understand it anyway. It was, you know, my, even my uncle claims that when he was growing up, they weren't allowed to read the Bible. Um, I'm not sure to what extent that is true, but um, there was certainly this attitude. I, I remember once asking a priest, where is that? written in the Bible. And he said, I'm a Catholic priest. I don't know where, I, I don't know where this is written in the Bible. Um, long story short, that experience was so powerful. I, I, the Lord just showed me this huge wound in the church, which is lack of knowledge of the word of God. And as St. Jerome says, lack of knowledge of the word of God is knowledge, lacking knowledge of Christ. And there's another scripture that is, there's a couple of scriptures that were very important for me in, uh, in my conversion then, but, um, so one that I think of often when I see what's happening in the church today is, you know, if you see what the bishops in Germany are doing, the only conclusion I can come to is they what Jesus says. They know neither the, wor the word of God. They know neither the power of God nor the word of God. So many of our aberrations today in the church are due to a lack of knowledge of the word of God. And so back then i just felt this call to dedicate my life entirely to studying the word of god and um i to be honest i didn't it's not that i that i it cost me a lot to give up my career in law i was so attracted to jesus and the beauty of truth and the excitement of living the gospel that i was i felt like i was um you know, someone who, who wins the lottery, that the Lord would actually call me and allow me at this point, I was 27, to start all over and, you know, just shelf what I'd done so far in my life and have this chance of truly starting all over and like a little 18-year-old go back to um, studying something new, then two years of philosophy, and then after that, theology, and then the, the rest is history. Um, every step of the way, I always felt like I was the most blessed person to be allowed to now study theology and scripture and now even be allowed to teach in a seminary and form these future priests so that hopefully they'll be able to uh, announce the word of God. Well, that I'll tell you, that's fantastic. I, I, because like Joe mentioned earlier, the pearl of great price, that's what you're talking about, what's really valuable, Dr. Nina Sophie Harriman, that's joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, we're discussing her new book, A Thirst for the Spirit, Biblical Wisdom for Desert Times. It's exactly right. If we actually thought, now again, we could give an intellectual assent to it, but if we knew in our hearts what it is that we actually believe, what it is that that the Lord has in store for us, as Jesus says, you're going to go out and sell everything you have and buy that field. You know, again, sometimes, you know, even the most faithful cats, sometimes our hearts still need that piercing of the Holy Spirit. You know, um, I would say this. <clears throat> you, your book mentions a thirst for the spirit. I, I think that's where, you know, and this is not to this is not to bash the council or anything like that. I don't mean that. But, but post Vatican too. It seems as though the members of the church and the hierarchy think that we need to water down, uh, in almost Protestant eyes, uh, you know, the, the Catholic faith. No, 
you need to proclaim it boldly because that's what yes. people are thirsting for. Because exactly. you could go to, if you want to feel good about something, you could go become a new age spiritualist. Don't make you feel good about anything. You know, they'll just say you're in tune with the universe type of, thing. you know, peace, dude, while they, while you take some drugs and you can feel great. No, that's not what it's all about. The thirst is for the word of God. Jesus tells Satan, you know, man does not live by bread alone, but from every word that, that is issued forth by, from the mouth of God, that's what we're thirsting for. That's why your book is so appropriately named, appropriately titled, I wish, I wish, I pray, some, not all, we have many good prelates out there, but some more need to hear that and understand, no, no, we don't need to water down the faith. We need to start proclaiming the faith more boldly. Now, that's my two cents. But real quick, um, let, let me let me jump into this. You mentioned history earlier, okay? Are we at, in your mind, Dr. Harriman, are we at a unique point in history? I mean, people would say nowadays, well, the church is being persecuted. But listen, would you rather live under the Biden regime as a Catholic or would you rather live under Nero? Now, again, that's not, I'm not, that's not me being cheeky. I, I'm, I'm being serious. I mean, we obviously... The world is persecuting Catholics, okay? We know that. That's a statistical fact, okay? But is it a unique moment in history? Um, you know, um, well, let me just leave it there and throw it out to you. Uh, what, yeah. what are your thoughts on that? I, I think the answer to your question is evident, right? We're much better off living under the Biden administration, as bad as it, bad as it is, than living under Nero. Um, though maybe more faithful Catholics than myself would say, no, I wish I was living under Nero because then I could become a martyr. And, and, uh, <laughs> I, I, was, I see. I was just thinking that. I was just thinking that. <laughs> Listen, you just get like <laughs> Jesus would just say, all right, you're living under Nero. Now I'm going to take you right out of here. Go ahead, Dr. Herman. Exactly. You get baptized and a week later you're dead and you go straight to heaven and then you go down in history and you're mentioned in the Eucharistic prayer. So that wouldn't be bad. <laughs> but um, I think what what I so uh, right, there's been many centuries um, when the church, when Christians were more persecuted than us today. And even uh, last century, if you were living in Russia, you were sure to probably die if you stood up for your faith. Um, maybe we'll soon be again in that situation, but we're not yet, luckily. So as long as we're not there, I think we should make the best of it and proclaim the gospel wherever we can um what is what feels unique to me but obviously i'm not a church historian um but you know there's this one period in the church that we now often speak about when 80 percent of the of the bishops apparently were arian so denying the divinity of christ and i think that is what's kind of unique in the sense or comparable to the arian heresy that um we're suddenly in a time where we see bishops apostatizing and that i don't think we've seen in a while um to have like pope benedict said on this famous interview on the way back or to fatima where he said what's extraordinary in our times is that we have the enemies of the church within the church um and so shepherds denying fundamental truth of the faith that is very challenging and more challenging to our faith probably than outside persecution, because outside persecution doesn't confuse you. Um, it's a challenge to your to your cowardness or fear, right? You're, you're tempted to deny the faith because it's a threat to your life. But to have shepherds um, publicly denying the faith, that is extremely confusing. And so a challenge to know your faith better and trust your sensus fidelium and trust you, the, the voice of the Spirit in your heart that you really need to know what the, the teaching of the church is and not just follow 
you, you can you can no longer unfortunately just blindly trust that what you hear in a sun, Sunday homily is certainly going to be the truth, right? I mean, I, I'm blessed to be in a super parish in the United States, so I can't speak so much into your situation, but I can promise you in Europe, you cannot just trust what the priest says on Sunday, unfortunately, and that is a unique challenge. No, no, absolutely. Joe Racinello. You mentioned uh, during your conversion story something I want to expand on. You said, like, if you're doing certain things, your eyes are going to be open and you clearly can't, like, go along with, say, like, the pagan way. I think what you're addressing, like, are we grounding our life in first principles? This is prelates as well as people in the pews going to confession regularly, going to adoration, fasting two times a week giving alms, praying the rosary. If you do that, whether you're the Pope or you're illiterate, you will see the truth. You will have a thirst for the Lord, and the Lord will open your eyes, and there will be an outpouring of God. You see, that's the diagnosis, in my view. You you have to do the, the basics, and then God, you basically tilled the soil and then when you went to that retreat boom the channel was open that's what we have to do as a church whether you're a bishop and i would say to those bishops if if they ask my opinion are you doing those things because if you are it's like oil and water you're not going to be yes. interested in that. Your comments, because I think that's the answer. It's that simple. First principles. You're so, so right. And you just described it in the exact same way as I always viewed my own conversion. It was because I listened to what Mary said that I just, even though I didn't feel attracted to praying and I probably, you know, I didn't know very, I wasn't trained in saying devoutly my rosary. I just started doing it. And this is a very old Jewish practice, uh, <laughs> principle even. Do it, and you will come to know the truth. Jesus says, "Whoever does, um, whoever does the truth, comes to the light." Um, it, it, that's in the third chapter of the Gospel of John. So I, it's exactly how I experienced it. I started doing these things that prepared the soil of my heart, and then the Word of God could just come in and illuminate my heart. And I think that is why. You know, I know it's debated whether Our Lady appears in Medjugorje or not. Um, I can only attest to she made me a catholic and her principle of evangelization is take you by the hand make you pray receive the sacraments like you just said um pray start a life of conversion because you start receiving the gift of confession which is enormous i think it's beyond our imagination what confession does to our soul and then you kind of absorb the faith with our with Mary's mother milk. I remember when I started to study later on, I was like, wow, even though I never read the catechism or had any formal instruction in the faith, when I started to study, I realized that I already knew all these truths just by having started to pray the rosary very, very regularly um, and practicing the faith. The sensus fidelium was in me and the studies only gave me the words to now explicate it. But yeah, just like you say, the best method of evangelization is bring teach people how to pray and how to practice a, a life of like you just summed it up um prayer fasting and almsgiving 
You know, what's, what's, what's interesting, uh, Dr. Nina Harriman is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Remember, please go out and buy her book from the publisher, Emmaus Road Publishing, A Thirst for the Spirit, Biblical Wisdom for Desert Times. Um, I'm, I'm so glad you're, you, that both of you have mentioned um, the sacraments, about, um, about ha- you know, essentially having your eyes open. I think really that's the key. You, look, you're, you're, you're from Germany, doctor. So we obviously, you, you, you know, we see what's going on with the German bishops, okay? When you're close to the sacraments, when you allow God's grace, okay, you mentioned the census fidelium. You don't have to go flipping through the book to know that something's wrong because Jesus is telling you something's wrong. The grace of the Holy Spirit, of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is entering you, and your eyes are wide open. Not in some yeah. negative way, in a very positive way. They say, listen, your your, your excellencies, I, I think, you know, no, I don't think. In fact, I know something's off here, okay? Let's take a quick break. Um, we're with uh, Dr. Nina Harriman at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial. I'm going to say it again. Go out and buy Dr. Harriman's book, A Thirst for the Spirit, Biblical Wisdom for Desert Times. That's available at Emmaus Road Publishing. This is a great conversation. Come back. We're going to have another great segment for you. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Resinello. We are way, way, way in the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network Network with Dr. Nina Sophie Harriman and her book, A Thirst for the Spirit, Biblical Wisdom for Desert Times. Let me ask you this, Dr. Harriman, okay? Um, my, my the, the way I could describe it is this. I look at those who, uh, and, you know, I started to read Scripture. I, I, I had a journey, and I've said it before on the show, where I was away from the church for a good 20 years. Not, I was basically, a, I was Catholic, but I was, a, I was a practical atheist, okay? I was living like an atheist. So it really, the Eucharist, everything else didn't matter to me, okay? Uh, and But then I started to read Scripture. First thing I did was, you know, I opened the, you know, the New Testament, started to read the letters of St. Paul, then got into the gospel. And and one of the things that came to my mind as I started to read scripture was this, is that those who attack the church and those who attack the Bible, they read scripture too. The only thing is they identify with the bad guys. See, we had, and I know that sounds harsh, but but they but they they really do. You know, there are those who persecuted Christ. There are people who read the Bible and say, Yeah, I agree with Pilate. What is truth? In other words, they, they don't care that the truth is standing in front of Pilate. Now, the real, why am I bringing this up? Why am I saying this? Because I think the bad guys, and yes, there are good guys and bad guys in, the, in our modern narrative and in all of human history, okay? But in the modern world, there are those who would attack Christ, attack his church, attack those who adhere to his church, all right? Um, they say, well, your Bible doesn't appeal to the modern world. Yes, it does. You just don't like the fact that the Bible is saying to you exactly what it said Two centuries ago, and every time in between, or in the Old Testament. In other words, you don't like the Bible because you identify with the bad guys, and you just, quite frankly, don't like that. Now, I know that might sound a little, you know, I don't know, superficial to some people, but you know where I'm going with that, Dr. Hearman. Talk about that. Tell me if you agree, disagree. What's wrong with my analysis? <laughs> so I wouldn't have your audacity to say they uh, uh, 
they uh, they go with the bad guys or at least they don't intend to do it. Like what I what I see at least um the big problem we're having like since we've been talking about Germany and that's my home country um is that all of these bishops I have no doubt are well-intentioned. Um what's happened to them is that they well this is my diagnosis um they have been studying they got their priestly formation and their theology studies in a time when um, the faith in the reliability of sacred scripture was shaken and had been shaken ironically through um, a course that exegesis took following Luther. Luther uh, went back to what he, he said, we need to just focus on the literal sense of the scriptures, but he had a, a different definition of the literal sense than we Catholics do. Anyway, exegesis was born in a Protestant context, and um, and because it became historically, merely historically critical, I have nothing against historically critical scholarship. My, I am myself um, trained in historically critical scholar. I have written a 900-page doctorate, which is merely historically critical, um, but if you if you stop short there you don't get to the full breadth of the of the scriptures so what happened to many of um the previous generation of priests who were studying let's say in the 60s 70s particularly um because they were exposed to an an historical merely historically critical approach to the bible they lost their the grounding of their theology in scripture and in tradition, everything was um, was said to be historically relative, and so what they end up with is a theology that is suddenly based no longer on scripture and tradition, but on so-called human sciences, without realizing that these human sciences evolve constantly, and probably in ten years are going to tell us something different than what they're telling us today. Um, so. This is where I come back to they know neither the scripture nor the power of God. There is a lack of faith in grace. Grace theology is also uh, no longer very fashionable in certain circles. And they don't trust that the Bible is reliable because of the way they've been exposed to this in their theology studies. So, um, yeah, I, I, I do want to insist, and I, I know some of these bishops, they are well-intentioned um but have been i think really misguided by the formation they received doctor i just want to clarify one thing and i'm i'm going to clarify one thing and hand it over to joe and believe me when i tell you one thing that joe and i and i'm not saying that you're saying this but one thing joe and i don't do is we don't we're we're critical when need be uh, of our bishops mm -hmm. And there's a lot to be critical of nowadays. We do it respectfully and simply. When I met, when I was mentioning the bad guys, I was mentioning mm -hmm. the modernists, or what I was referring mm -hmm. to are, let's yeah. say, the aggressive, the aggressive atheists, the secularists, uh, okay. those whose okay. primary target is, well, but probably an equal target, the Catholic Church and Scripture. Um, pretty mm -hmm. much it's all Catholic Church. They focus on Scripture. Those are the people that I primarily was talking about. I agree with you. There are many, I've, speak, I've spoken to many priests where I go like this. I like, and again, I'm not, as I mentioned earlier, Joe and I didn't go to the Gregorian, okay? Um, but again, I could tell when a, a priest is saying something that's off, um, I'm going to give that priest or that bishop the benefit of the doubt, of course. Um, I don't consider them the enemy. Those who I do consider the enemy are the, the Richard Dawkins of the world, the mm -hmm. Sam Harris's of the world, and those who attack scripture in that way. But 
I, I just yeah. want to make that clear. Joe Resinello. Yeah, no, but even even in ahead, defense Dr. of someone like uh, even in defense of someone like um, Sam Harris, uh, uh, for those of your audience, you might have seen the debate with Jordan Peterson a Jordan Peterson a couple of years ago. And when I was listening to him, to what Sam Harris had to say, I thought. This poor man has never been explained a Catholic hermeneutic to sacred scriptures because he thinks we're just reading the Bible from page one to the last page, uh, you know, and as if every page was read in the same way. Like he will attack the fact that if a woman commits adultery, she needs to be stoned in the Old Testament. And you think it's he thinks it's dangerous to put that book out there because then we're going to stone women. And I mean, that clearly shows to me that he's never heard that no Christian will ever read the Old Testament without the New Testament. And it's very clear that the latest in John 8, we know that we no longer stone women for committing adultery and that the entire Old Testament needs to be read through the lens of the New Testament, where Jesus has completely abolished all of these uh, laws in, that were prefigurations of mortal sin at the end of the day. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, where just in defense of, of someone like Harris, it just shows how poor, we are explaining to the world our own scriptural hermeneutics. Dr. Hiraman, I'm going to hand it over to Joe Rizzo. I'm going to say this about you. You are much more charitable towards Sam Harris than I am, because I think he knows that we don't teach that. I think he knows that. I don't give him that much credit as you do. Maybe you're right. But I think he knows that we don't teach that, in the, particularly in the Catholic Church, okay? Maybe some literalist, fundamentalist sect somewhere in, you know, eastern Tennessee. Uh, okay, that's a different story. But as far as the Catholic Church and what we teach as far as Scripture, I believe Sam Harris knows exactly what the Church teaches. I think he likes to, I think he likes to throw a few jabs, Dr. Harriman. Joe Resinello, where do you want to go? <laughs> Doc, you mentioned Germany. I, I want to just expand on what you said. I think where they have gone awry is, and please correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not that versed in, in how the church works there, but I do know a little bit. I, I believe that when you pay taxes in Germany, 10% is taken out and you allot it to a, a place of worship. Is that correct? No. So um, it's zero... 0.8% of your of your um, income tax. Okay. Um, uh, sorry, no, it might be 8%. I've, I think it's 8% of your income tax that you that then goes straight to uh, the church that you belong to. Correct. And so that's why the, the German church is pretty rich. You see, I was just going to say that. The church is wealthy. Yeah. It's a wealthy nation yes. compar comparably yes. to the world. And I think that's yes. the problem because... In a sense, the government, in a sense, is buying influence. They neutered the bishops. With that, too, the spirit of the world has traveled through that money into their hand. I mean, Mother Teresa said this very clearly when she was asked, how will your order remain faithful? She said, if they embrace poverty and they focus on the Eucharist. When we live in the space of need— even if we're not materially poor, and I'll just use my example, I'm a father of five. That exposes me. My heart is lived outside my body. I have children. Mm -hmm. They're young. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I am mm -hmm. reliant upon something that is bigger than me. When mm -hmm. we're too comfortable, could be materially, it could be in a many different ways. It's not just money. God sometimes gets pushed to the side. And I'm glad you said they're sincere. I believe a lot of them are sincere. I've met many sincere people who were sincerely wrong. That doesn't mean I'm better than them. 
What it just yeah. means is my eyes have been open because I have tried to get out of the boat. We have to get out of the boat. What I would say You're to those bishops right. is this, give the money back. God has right. plenty of money. He'll take yes. care of you. Give it That's back. It. And yes. you will see a change in Germany, my opinion. Yes. And that was the opinion of Pope Benedict XVI when he came to visit Germany. Um, it must have been in 2012 or 13-ish, uh, 12, the year before he abdicated. He was in Freiburg, which is in the south of Germany, and he, he had a unique meeting with all the bishops and all the Catholic representatives in the country. And he said um, what the German church needs to do is I don't know if, if this works in English, but the world, the world herself. He said, we have to admit we, we've become too comfortable. The world has crept into the church. We have too many privileges. We, we're very rich and it's not doing us good. And he's, it's, uh, he, he was quoting St. Augustine how the church needs to get the world out of herself. And so while the German argument used to always be that because we have the church tax, we are independent from the government, the, the, the reason, the argument is um, because every priest has a good salary and it's a very good salary, um, he is mm, he is prevented from the temptation of preaching what his audience wants to hear, right? Because if you live on the collection, you might be tempted not to say something that, uh, that outrages your audience. But the uh, irony is the opposite is true. Agreed. This, Money has made us completely complacent. Plus, the church is kind of in bed with the government because uh, a lot of what we're doing at the moment is because the politicians are calling for, uh, you know, blessing of same-sex uh, couples and stuff like that. So, yes, all of those of us who feel the church is going and have never met a, a deeply practicing Roman Catholic German who doesn't desire for this whole church tax business to be over and done with. And now it's even worse because I, for example, I know someone who pays 200,000 euros in church tax every year. And he said, he said to one of the bishops, I am, I want to be Roman Catholic and I'm not going to give you my 200,000 for you um, to now be promoted blessing of same sex couples. I'm going to leave the church officially which the German church interprets as apostasy. So this guy, to remain faithful to his faith, can no longer get married in the church. Well, he's already married, but he can He can no longer be buried in the church because he's refusing to give 200,000 money to promoting the LGBTQ agenda at the end of the day, right? So uh, it's high time that we get out of this church tax system. The irony is going to be, the bishops are not going to get let go of it, but... Because we are now conforming ourselves so much to the zeitgeist, within no time, the zeitgeist is going to turn around and persecute us. And then we're going to finally get rid of the church tax because the left has been saying for a while now, why are we as a state doing this favor to the Catholic Church of collecting the tax and giving it to her? Let's just get this concordat over and done with let's finish it and well that's going to be the irony the left is going to take the church tax away and then finally the church will be free again and when the church is free the church is going to be strong i mean it, it, it really is that simple <clears throat> i mean it, it, dr Herman. sometimes <clears throat> excuse me i apologize um sometimes it, it really it, it's 
it, it's it it hurts us to see this situation. Okay, and for those of you just joining us out there, um, we're being joined by Dr. Nina Sophie Hiraman. We're discussing her new book, A Thirst for the Spirit, Biblical Wisdom for Desert Times. Emmaus Road Publishing is the publisher, so please buy it from the publisher. Desert Times is what it seems like we're in. So let me ask you this. Obviously, all of us know that God is in control. Sometimes people need to hear that God is in control. A Thirst for the Spirit is the title of your book. Well, we know that the Holy Spirit is operative. In good times and bad times, the Holy you know, when Perpetual and Felicity were both getting their throats cut, the Holy Spirit was operative, okay? Whether you like it or not, or whether you like that story, it's not rosy enough for you in the modern world, don't really care. The Spirit is always operative. So we know that God is going to take whatever good can be derived out of the greatest evil, okay? This is clearly a theme in Scripture, um, and we need to remember that. I'd love for you to, to give that message or, or, or expand on that message of hope for our audience to know that, no, 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 the Spirit is in control. God is in control, whether it's Germany, the United States, worldwide, in every, in every inch of the earth, um, God is in control. Talk about that a little bit. Well, it's so beautiful you make this point because, I mean, we're not just worried about Germany. We also have the Universal Synod coming up, the Synod on Synodality, and we know that there's lots, of, lots to worry about, and the Synod might end up being a great challenge for many of our faith. And so exactly in this situation, we need to have this consciousness, okay, the Lord is still the Lord of history. He is the God of providence. He's guiding all this and he's permitting all this. So what might be his purpose? And I think one very beautiful and clear purpose is that he's allowing this apostasy to purify his church. Uh, Pope Benedict already said this in the 1950s, that we're going to see the church shrink to a much smaller proportion, but it's going to be healthy because we have too much of baggage and too many members who are not living their faith who are in mortal sin, right? And if one member is sick, the whole body is sick. So I think for the sake of the world, for the sake of the salvation of the, of the world, um, the Lord is about to purify his bride and... Um, is applying this strange uh, medicine of allowing some of its members to die off. And um, maybe we need this deeper division in which all of us have the grace of being called to take a stance for faithfulness to the church that was built on the rock of Peter in continuation of the teaching of the last 2000 years and, um, well, lo what I believe is that Christ is about to purify his church so that then a powerful, uh, her, she can once again be lumen gentium, right? She can once again be what is her original vocation to be the light to the nations that brings that light of the truth of the gospel to so many souls who are out there thirsting and who can't see the beauty and the truth that Christ has given to his church uh, because so much scandal has been coming out of the church for the past couple of decades, which has turned people away from the only road to salvation. Well, that, and, and I'm going to hand it over to Joe, and that's the thing, and that's, you know, th I mean, that's really what we have to, uh, that's what we have to hope for, I think, because when, when I hear a bishop or a cardinal talk about, oh, no, no, there's a lot of people coming into the church, the numbers don't make the church, okay? Fidelity. That's, you know, the faithfulness of, of, of people. That's what makes the church strong. You could have all the numbers you want and say, well, we're bringing all these people into the church. I've said this for years. What church? 
what what church? I mean, I used when I grew up, I knew it to be the Catholic Church, one church, and it still only is. Let's be clear, okay? We all know that. But but from an from an outsider or somebody who's let's say let's say left the church, trying to come back, struggling with whatever. A lot of times people have to say, well, whose church am I coming back to? Uh, uh, Bishop Athanasius Snyder or Father James Martin? No, and and yes, there is confusion, and that's why we're glad you, you wrote your book, Doctor Hereman, so that you, people when they read it. Okay, and God willing, they go out and buy it and read it. They're going to be less confused. Joe Rasinello, you mentioned Benedict XVI. <clears throat> if I was to say the, the 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 thinker that I prescribe to the most, it would be him. I think he will become a doctor of the church. Um, mm -hmm. He was a very humble man and a learned man. He talks about the dictatorship of relativism. And we're kind of talking about that. And I know the, the reference that you made, that was his prophecy on the radio, the church will be smaller. It's something I'm pretty uh, versed in. I agree with that. I think what the world needs to see is authentic Catholicism lived. Like, let's be honest. We were talking about the German bishops, the cardinals. They're brilliant. I'm not going to say they're not. They'll score a lot higher on a test than me. If it's analytically speaking, but their hearts are not where they're to be. They have to see Catholicism. And that's what Benedict talked about, that we'll become a light. You mentioned illumination to those who have turned and their life will be in ruin. And we're seeing that. But we have to show people. There's lots of smart people in the Catholic Church, you being one of them. I'm, and I'm sure you're teaching. In fact, I guarantee you're teaching what should be taught. But what strikes me about you is you have that thirst. That's what people will notice. That's what the world needs. Talk about that because I want to expand on Benedict's example because I think he has it spot on. God is allowing the world to go into darkness because it's the only way that's going to bring them back to the light through example. You're absolutely right. And this is something that Paul VI already said. He said, we're living in the time, you know, his famous um, encyclical Evangelii Nunciandi. He said, we're living in the time people are no longer interested in living, listening to long sermons or just talk. They want to see the gospel live. They listen to witnesses. And so I think it's always been the case in 2000 years that the faith was transmitted from person to person through the witness of those who were following Jesus. The, the vast majority of people have come to the faith either because they had parents who credibly announced the gospel or like me 30, 25 years ago, meeting one woman who told me she'd been, she'd met these Indians and I didn't tell this in the beginning, but she had met them. She had had a conversion. Jesus healed her. And then I was interested in meeting these Indians because he had healed her leg, right? So it's person to person. For the first letter of John says, what we have seen with our own eyes, what we've touched with our own hands, listened with our own ears, this is what we proclaim to you. Um, who are the first people who, who pass on the gospel after the resurrection it's not the shepherds of the church, ironically enough. It's these women that nobody counted, took serious because they were just women back in the day, right? But Jesus entrusts the most important message of his gospel, namely that he has risen, which is the proof of his divinity, the proof that our sins have been forgiven. That message is entrusted to these women, and that's what it's been for the last 2,000 years. It's the church, not in her shepherds, but in the 
living reality of every baptized person. What That's what these women stand for, the, the church as the bride of Christ. And that's all of us, men and women in the body of Christ, us living our faith in an authentic way. That's what spreads the gospel. I want to also add a word to that radical way. Jesus yes, yes. was a radical and so were yes. the people that we have to live a revolutionary life. And I don't mean go to the streets with guns. I'm talking about people should look at your life and what they should say is, I don't know how you do that. And your response should be right. is, I don't know either. God, <laughs> that's how. God helps me. That's how we change the world. That's how we change the church. It has to be a radical follow. You see, too many people are afraid of that. Christ was a radical man. And the disciples have to be radical. And we're too comfortable. You're so right. right. Go ahead. If you had a quick comment on that, I have one final question for you. No, no, no. I just I just totally agree with Joe. <laughs> I find myself doing that very, very often. <laughs> um, let me ask you this. We have a few minutes left, uh, j- just a few minutes left. So obviously anybody who knows history um, cannot deny that, that the Catholic Church uh, built West- Western civilization on the ruins of the Roman Empire. OK, well, the, the, the Western civilization obviously has been in decline since Luther. Let's let's be honest, historically honest. Uh, that's when the decline started, and it's just gotten worse and worse ever since. Is the Catholic Church, particularly in Europe, okay, is the Catholic Church going to find itself once again in the position to rebuild Western civilization on what is obviously going to be, be coming down the road, which is it's going into ruins. Men and women, you can't even call a man a man and a woman a woman anymore. Uh, you you have to be pro baby killing. You you can't you 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 have to just go with the whole agenda. This is obviously going into ruin. There's not going to be some sort of an an age of enlightenment. No, this is this is an age of darkness. That's what we live in. All right, we're headed towards destruction, particularly in Europe. Okay, is do you see the Catholic Church rebuilding Western civilization on the ruins of I don't know the secular modernist world? Well, uh, with human eyes, one would say. Just without the eyes of hope, I would say there's no way. Um, But why I have, why I do believe that, yes, is like one could look back to what happened to Northern Africa and Turkey. Turkey, uh, 70%, I think, of the New Testament was written in Turkey. Yet the faith has disappeared uh, from Turkey since the 7th century. Same Northern Africa. It used to be completely Catholic. The faith is completely wiped out. It's all. islamic now one could say well nothing prevents god from allowing the same to happen to europe she's had her chance she's she has rejected god now god is going to reject europe on the other hand um the why am i not believing this uh or why do i still have hope is because god has given us popes like saint john paul ii and who i hope will one day also be a saint pope benedict god has given us these extraordinary popes particularly john paul ii he had this vision of a new springtime for the church, even in Europe. If you read his letter to the European church, it's full of hope and a vision of uh, a purification, a, a dark time of purification, but there's going to be a springtime after that. He believed that deeply. And I believe John Paul II was obviously a mystic. And he wouldn't have said this if he didn't have a very profound revelation from the Holy Spirit that this is going to be. The other reason why I believe that God has not given up entirely of Euro- on Europe is 
because of um, him sending again the immaculate, his immaculate mother intervening so powerfully through events like the miraculous medal in Rue du Bac, and then we have Lourdes, we have Fatima, which was an extraordinary intervention, and then of course we have other apparitions that are, have not yet been recognized. But um, in the even if only half of the apparitions that are allegedly coming from Our Lady in the last century in Europe are true, um, it, it, it speaks to me of the fact that God has not given up on Europe and there is a special chosenness in the sense that there's so many saints um, who've given their life for the European continent that I do trust that the places where St. Paul and Peter have been buried will remain or see a reflourishing of Christendom, not because of any mer merits of our own, but because where sin is great, grace abounds. Absolutely. Joe and I say on the show all the time, Doctor, what, what, we, what we hope comes is um, America, Europe, well, the entire world, we need a Guadalupe kind of moment, if you know what I mean. You know, exactly. and, and, and people share, if people don't know what we're referring to, go look up our lady Guadalupe and see what the, what the effect that apparition had on the nation of Mexico. And then you'll understand where we're going with that. Uh, Dr. Harriman, you are welcome back on the front line with Joe and Joe anytime. This was such a pleasure to have this conversation with you. Thank you. It was such a pleasure to be on the show. Absolutely. So remember, everybody out there, go out and buy Dr. Nina Sophie Harriman's book uh, from Emmaus Road Publishing. Buy it from the publisher or your local Catholic bookstore, A Thirst for the Spirit, Biblical Wisdom in Desert Times. And we want to thank you all once again for joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350, <clears throat> excuse me, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Two things very quickly. Download the app, the Veritas app. Share it with your friends. We're an EWTN affiliate, so you get all that content and original programming. And please, wherever you see Joe and I on social media, um, the Frontline TV on YouTube, and at with Joe and Joe, at with Joe and Joe on Twitter. Please like, subscribe, share, follow, do all that fun stuff. Thank you all once again. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>